Nosy Nancy's is a true crime podcast based in Austin, Texas. If you are sensitive to any of the trigger words, this is not the podcast for you. Due to its graphic nature, listener discretion is advised. Hey, all you nosies. I'm Aliqua. And I'm Jasmine. And welcome to Nosy Nancy Season 2, Episode 3. It's been a crazy week, and I don't even want to talk about it. (laughs) It has been a crazy week. There's been so much going on. There really has. What'd you do for Thanksgiving? So, my Thanksgiving was fine. It was just, I went to my friend Renee's house, and we just had... You know, a little, little something, something. But as you know, my my ex boyfriend Aaron passed away on yeah. the fourteenth. That's been pretty hard. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I ever told you. Did I ever tell you the story of me and Aaron? I'm not going to tell you now because it's a long ass story. <laughs> like people don't want to hear about love; they want to hear about murder. But um, for like ten years, we were on and off. Yeah. I saw him. Uh, freshman year second semester of freshman year getting off the bus and I was like in love with him because I thought he looked like Kurt Cobain (laughs) in reality he doesn't look anything like Kurt Cobain I was just you know 15 and I like your pause before Kurt Cobain (laughs) I'm in love (laughs) gorgeous 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 boys love it anyways mm-hmm Tell me about your Thanksgiving. So my Thanksgiving. It was your first Thanksgiving. Yeah, mine and Todd's first Thanksgiving. Save napkins and. Oh my God, I should have. But no, I didn't do that because I was barely functioning. Like, I feel so bad. So we got there. We went to Todd's dad's. The night, like, was crazy. (laughs) The night was crazy. We started drinking and just talking. Like it wasn't like super duper crazy, but I got like a little more lit than I realized at the time. And I know like when I start seeing double that it's, I'm definitely going to have like a headache, you know, I haven't seen double in like years, Jasmine. Well, I party hardy. But evidently, I'm too fucking old for that shit because I woke up, like, I woke up in the middle of the night because I was just hot. And we turned on the fans, but I could feel it then. And I'm like, thank God I have in my purse my, like, medicine. I'm like Dr. Quinn. Like, I carry around this medicine bag. Yeah, I loved her. With all my stuff in there. I'll get it in a little while and then I'll be healthy and happy. And have a great Thanksgiving. Like, I'm officially awake. I go to get my medicine out of my bag. And it's not there. And fuck, like, now I don't have any, like, ibuprofen or anything. So, yeah. I'm just doing my best. Um, eventually, Todd wakes up and he goes to try to get, <laughs> try to find me some medicine. And he brings back aspirin, and I'm like, well, the aspirin, like, upsets my stomach and stuff, so I I can't really take it. And he's like, okay. Um, So he's, like, looking for other medicine. He can't find any, so he goes to get some Advil for me. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm just in bed, like, suffering. And he comes back. I take the Advil, and everybody's starting to kind of like stir around and, and everybody else in the house is kind of moving around now. And I'm waiting for this Advil to kick in and I go into the bathroom and I just start throwing up (laughs) and like, I haven't thrown up in forever. Like, God, I, and I, I can't tell you the last time I threw up. I have been throwing up more. Like when, when Todd and I first met, I was like, yeah, I never throw up because it's true, but I've thrown up a lot. It's because you go to those tiki bars and drink like 
insane tiki drinks. Well, and that's the thing. That's the thing, too, is, like, I can usually handle, like, quite a bit of alcohol. Liquor. But here lately, I can't even be doing that. So I'm in there in the bathroom, like, throwing up. Everybody else is like, happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) Everybody's feeling so good. And they're happy and, like breakfast is being made his dad's in the kitchen making breakfast and I'm just like okay you know I gotta get recovered well I've thrown up my Advil now oh and I'm like well shit so a few hours go by and I'm like back and forth in the bathroom like just doing my thing tossing my cookies everywhere right and normal yeah and I'm like well maybe if I get some like Pepto-Bismol or something, just something to like coat my stomach to help with the nausea. Todd was trying Mm -hmm. to help me find some Pepto-Bismol and he asks his little grandmother if she has any Pepto-Bismol and she's like, oh yeah, come, come out into my little, my little house back here. Uh. She's a witch doctor. He goes back there and she doesn't have any Pepto-Bismol. But what she does make me is ginger tea. Uh-huh. And she brings me the ginger tea and I'm sipping it. And at this point, it's like the day's half over. Everybody's relaxing, like eating their Thanksgiving dinner. I can't eat. I'm just at the table, like being present. You and think? I, and I feel so bad. Because everything looks so good, and Todd's dad is so sweet. He's like, you don't have to sit here if you're... I mean, I I couldn't imagine having to watch people eat. And I'm like, no, it's like, I do... Like, I want to be present, just ignore me, you know? You didn't eat any Thanksgiving food? I mean, they packed me, like, a plate to eat later, which I did eat okay. whenever I got home and got medicated and my headache and stuff started to go away. I was but. feeling better. Good. But that ginger tea that Todd's G Mimi is what they call her ma- made G Mimi G Mimi G Mimi. Oh my um, god, I love that. She I know. sounds like she should be part of like Run DMC or something. She's honestly like the most adorable person on the planet. Jamimi, you know what? My dad is always like. Oh, you're sick? Eat some ginger. Eat some ginger. I had always heard that uh, ginger was good for, like, upset stomach and everything. It is, yeah. It, like, literally saved my life. I never did throw up again. And then, like, on the ride home, I didn't eat or drink anything for, like, an hour before we, like, drove. Because I was like, well, I don't want to throw, like, I don't want to have to pull over. So today, like I was supposed to go to work today and I called in sick (laughs) because I have got like, I woke up and I still was feeling nauseous and I'm like, damn, ew, no, don't, (laughs) just don't. Yeah. And my neck is like sore, like my entire neck is sore Probably from all the lurching you did. And over I the look at, yeah, and I look it up, and it's like some migraine like hangover that you can get that like makes your body and stuff sore and just makes you feel like shit afterwards. Oh, God. So, needless to say, I don't, I can't function. Well, I was like grieving so bad that like I literally got myself, like, I made myself sick. Yeah, I like had chills. I was had a fever. I um, but what's really crazy is that I don't know if I told you this, but or if I sent you the did I send you the picture? I might have sent you the picture, but like on the seventeenth. So on the seventeenth of November was my anniversary of me and Aaron getting back together for the third and final time mm-hmm. in twenty seventeen. And I was on my way to my clients in Leander, and I was at Starbucks, of course, because I'm basic. And I, like, looked at my memories on Facebook, and I saw that, and I was like, oh, granted, this is, like, three days after he died, right? Yeah. 
And I was like, oh, God, what is this? You know, and I took a screenshot of it. And then I, like, threw my phone onto the passenger seat next to me. Mm-hmm. And then I bawled at, while I was, like, ordering my like, my latte. Oh and then when God. I got to my... I know. <laughs> and then when I... Oh, could you imagine, like, being on the other end of that? Like, oh, God. How do you deal with somebody just, like, crying like a like a maniac on the other end of that? Um but I, uh, I'd be like, do you want your latte or not? <laughs> like, let's, let's, speak, let's speak English here. I can't understand you through all the tears. Um, but, uh, so I go to my client's house and I open my phone to show her the screenshot of, of me and Aaron's anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this picture on my phone that I didn't take. Did I tell you about this? Yeah, you showed me the picture. That's creepy. Isn't it so creepy? Yeah. And like two, and like the night before, or maybe it was the two nights before, I was like, uh, it, they all melded together. Literally, I thought it was like 18th for like five days straight. Okay. Mm-hmm. But um, I like was like crying and like being like, Eric, show me a sign that you care. You know? And I know, no. So crazy, it's so stupid. But um, and That'd then that picture though. showed up. I know. <laughs> I haven't even talked to him in five years, and I'm like, he was the love of my life. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, oh god, I'm trying to find a psychic to like look at this picture because I don't know, man. It's wild. The picture that you showed me, I'm like, what is that? Like, I couldn't tell if it was you or. I don't know. Or lips. What? It's like a pink aura, basically, too. Which is like if you're into crystals and shit mm-hmm. and auras, it's like it's like supposed to represent like love and like acceptance and blah 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 blah. Um. And uh, so I was like, oh my god, it's a sign. Uh, but I'm trying to find like a psychic to like look at it and be like, <laughs> either be like, yeah, this is a uh, this is Aaron trying to talk to you from the other side or them being like okay you're just like you're just like you're making just shit up because <laughs> yeah you're just grieving and trying like grasping at straws here but either way it's pretty it was pretty crazy that it popped up i um yeah i'd be freaked I, out honestly oh my god it was i don't know the whole thing is just crazy i'll tell you the story one day but um yeah it's just a it's just a, it's it's a rough it's been a rough a rough week for sure. Um, I do want to say real quick before we start um, that my case is um, of a thirteen year old girl. Oh, which yeah, which is hard to talk about because obviously it's never a good time talking about death, but even especially when it happens to um, a minor. But I do find it to be important that we do talk about her case because I only found one other podcast that mentioned anything about her. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. She is a person of color and she has, her case has been cold for over 35 years. It's super uncomfortable for me to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So if you are listening and you don't want to hear the story of, um, Veronica Taylor, then I don't take offense to it. You can, totally fast forward after after Jasmine tells her her cold case. Yeah. Should we just uh, I know. God, this is a depressing episode already. Can we just not get, get it over clean? with? Yeah, can we just get this over with? Jesus. Um, mine still is very much a like a warm case. Uh, okay. Because it is currently marked cold. But it's very much like the last case where they had somebody in custody, but there were multiple suspects. And as right. of currently, they have no, they haven't been able to pin anybody. They don't know anything. So it's still marked as a cold case. So this is Natalie Antonelli. She was 38 years old and she was living with her 16 year old son, Johnny. And her roommate, Susan, in an apartment in Austin. 
On the night of October 12th, Natalie had gone out with some friends to the Steamboat and another club called the Toulouse, both on 6th Street, both which have closed, since closed. Mm. Um, and she went out with some friends. She came back around 2.30 and she fell asleep on the couch. Her roommate Susan saw her when she arrived home. Um, hmm. Like, come and sit on the couch. And Susan was, I guess, kind of up and down all night. So she saw her when she originally arrived home around 2.30. Right. She saw her again when she came out of her room around, like, 4.40 to get a glass of water. Okay. Susan looked at the door to make sure that it was closed, but she didn't test the lock or anything. That's like single woman 101. Yeah, Like, always lock your doors. At that point, Natalie was asleep on the couch. So, Susan, about an hour or so later, said that she heard some thumping sounds and moaning, and then Mm. heard a door shut. Susan got up and went into the living room and found Natalie sitting up on the couch holding her head. She said that Natalie was so completely covered in blood, she almost didn't recognize her. What the fuck? Yeah, so just blatant attack in the middle of the night. Ugh. Like, just somebody just came in and hit her on the head and left? Yeah, and left. So Susan woke up Johnny, her son, and called 911. Natalie was beaten so badly, she, like, wasn't able to speak or answer any questions while they were waiting for the ambulance. They said that she just had a really frightened look in her eyes. Well, yeah, she just got fucking beat up in the middle of the night. And, uh... After arriving to the hospital, Natalie slipped into a coma where she remained for 18 days before succumbing to her injuries. Oh, my God. That's uh, so hard. Yeah, it's fucking awful. Just sleeping on the couch. It's bold as hell, though. Some of these people are bold as hell coming in in, like, early morning hours where, like, people could be awake. I mean, I haven't been lately, but typically I get up at like 4.30 or whatever, and I'm just hanging out, like enjoying the morning before work and stuff. And like other people like work out and stuff. I just sit around, but (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, other people have stuff to do. I know a guy that gets up at four o'clock in the morning and works out. And I'm just like, why do you hate yourself? Like, why do you like, what are you punishing yourself? I don't know. God, these beautiful, good-looking people. Oh, my God. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, but no thanks. I'll just... Thanks, but no thanks. Let me... (laughs) Uh, So, the medical examiner determined that Natalie, obviously, had suffered from blunt force trauma that was consistent with having been attacked with a club or a baseball bat. Um, The attack caused skull fractures and brain contusions, which is what led to Natalie being in the coma. Oh, God. Police didn't discover any signs of, like, forced entry. Nothing was missing from the apartment. She wasn't sexually assaulted. And there were no defensive wounds on her body. Uh, but they did say it seemed like it was a brutal yet targeted attack. And they had absolutely no leads at that time for who would want to harm Natalie. That probably means the door was unlocked. Yeah. Could you imagine her roommates to to have to know that, like, you looked at the door and you didn't test the lock? Oh, God. She's probably just riddled with guilt. Yeah. I would be. I would be, too, honestly. She, like, that's I mean, terrible. she probably... No, she probably thinks about it, like, every day for the rest of her life. Yeah. Like, I like, should have just locked the door. Yeah, like... You know? If I would have tested it, yeah, everything could have been different. Oh, God. Um, that sucks. So that same morning that Natalie was attacked, another 911 call was made by a man who lived in the same apartment complex named Don Shelley. And okay. he was calling because he saw a man outside that was, like, looking into people's windows. Mm-hmm. 
Don approached the man and the man told him, <clears throat> like, you're the second person that stopped me tonight. And oh. Don just, I am assuming, just was like, okay, well, fuck you. Well, like, I'll about, just go call the police. Yeah, how about you stop being so creepy? Yeah. How about that? Um, so a composite sketch of the man was created based on Don's description. And he described... The man as a tall, husky man with long blonde hair. And Don said that he was holding a baseball bat. Okay, well that fits the that fits the murder weapon. Right. Police asked Don if he would attend a police lineup to see if he recognized any of the men. Don identified a man named John Martin, better known as Marty Odom. Marty also lived in this apartment complex. With Don and Natalie. Okay. Shortly after Natalie's murder in 1986, he was also convicted of breaking into another woman's apartment and raping her. Okay, so obviously this guy did it, right? Right, right. That's what we're thinking. Okay, yep. Marty was known to carry a baseball bat at all times. And his ex-wife had claimed that he was abusive and sexually violent. Uh, Police questioned Marty in relation to Natalie's murder, and obviously he said it wasn't him. Police didn't have enough evidence to bring him to trial. Uh, But Marty eventually went to prison for another crime, so Natalie's case just went cold. Why didn't they just take his baseball bat that he always had on him? Exactly. Like, and, it's got to be fucking I mean, Marty, right? I mean, I know they don't. They didn't have DNA evidence back then, but, like, they could still have taken it in as as a possible, you know. Yeah, done something. I mean, come on. Done something. Yeah. So, more than 20 years after Natalie's murder, in 2007, the Austin Police Department received an anonymous call. It was a lady named Rebecca Davis who said that her husband, Dennis Davis, was the one who was responsible for Natalie's death. Dennis, I, You know what? I knew somebody named Rebecca Davis, but she was married to a David Davis. Uh, are you sure it wasn't Dennis who changed his name? pretty sure okay david yeah it wasn't dennis but i'm just that's just bizarre they they lived out in wimberley though go ahead maybe Sorry. they moved and changed one maybe. of their first names <laughs> their names yeah maybe uh so dennis davis was actually like a pretty popular and well-known guy he was a studio owner and an engineer And he was pretty well known in the music business. It it looks like he worked with big stars in Nashville, like Tim McGraw and Faith Hill. Ooh, what? Never have I ever heard of him. Me either. Don't know who, like, don't know him. Um, I know David, David Davis, but not David (laughs) Davis. (laughs) So... (laughs) I think he died, so it's probably not him. Oh, okay. If it was him, we'll never know. So police, uh, when they were provided with his name, they said he didn't even seem like an obvious suspect, but he did previously date Natalie. So he was an ex-boyfriend. He told police that the night that Natalie was murdered, he was with his girlfriend, who was his girlfriend at that time, named Amparo Garcia Crow. He said that he got a phone call from a friend and that was why he knew that Natalie got murdered. And he went straight over to the apartment complex and he was there actually when Natalie got in the ambulance. Okay, well look, he has an alibi, right? The guy has an alibi. The other guy doesn't have an alibi, I'm assuming. Had a fucking murder weapon Went on to assault other people. Yeah. Well, well, see, when police spoke to Amparo, she told the police that she had dated Dennis, but she wasn't with Dennis that night because they broke up three days before Natalie's murder. So... Okay. Okay. They weren't even together. They weren't even together. What the fuck? 
There's, oh no, this is getting this is getting heavy. I know this is all over the place. Another woman named Glinda Bless, who was an ex girlfriend of Dennis told uh-huh. police that there were two different sides to Dennis. He was nice of at course. times. Yeah, right? Right. He was nice at times, but he was also jealous and violent. And Glinda told the police that he had confessed to her that he had killed Natalie. Okay. Before Natalie's murder, Dennis left a note no. for Natalie after discovering that she had a new boyfriend. What did it say? What it did said, it say? Natalie, you can go to hell and take Doug with you. If you don't have the brains and self-respect to see through his bullshit, then fuck you. DD. Shut up. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So in 2009, Dennis was arrested and charged with the murder of Natalie. It was okay. a prosecution's case that Dennis had entered Natalie's apartment in the early hours on the 13th of October in 1985. They built their case around the belief that Dennis was a violent man who was known to have a temper and physically assaulted women in the past. Um, They called in a number of witnesses to testify. Oh, that does not look good, Dennis. If they're sure Dennis did it, then why is it still a cold case? Well, I'm about to I'm about to get right to that. Okay. I'm ready. My body is ready. Okay. <laughs> I'll be gentle. Okay, thanks. Glinda testified that she dated Dennis from nineteen eighty seven to nineteen eighty nine. She said that one uh-huh. night, after a night out, Dennis curled up into a ball on the porch and said, I didn't mean to do it. I didn't mean to hurt her. I didn't mean to kill Natalie. Glenda said that he killed her because Natalie was pregnant with his baby. And she also claimed that he was physically abusive to her, meaning Glenda, during right. their relationship. Susan Otten, who's Natalie's roommate, also right. testified She said that Dennis claimed that he didn't own a baseball bat, but that she saw a bat at Dennis's house after Natalie's murder. It was the defense's case that there was absolutely no physical evidence against Dennis whatsoever. Um, The jury heard the recording of the 911 call that Don Shelley made minutes after... Susan called 911 about the attack. Don claimed that he was walking back to his apartment from 7-Eleven when he saw the man looking into an apartment window. He said the man was carrying the bat, but the description of the man, which was the husky blonde, right, didn't match Dennis's physical description, which was tall, lanky, brown hair, mustache, Uh, the composite drawing, of course, that was made at the time was lost. They didn't have it. It seems like all this is circumstantial, except for the fact that Dennis was like saying that he did it. But do we actually have, do we have evidence where he is actually saying that? Because anybody could say that anybody said something. No, we have Mm. no evidence. Yeah, it's all circumstantial. It's entirely circumstantial. Hardly ever do do people get convicted on just circumstantial evidence. I mean, that's quite a coincidence that there was somebody looking in other people's windows yeah. with a baseball bat. Right. Exactly. You know what I mean? Around the same time. Around the same time. That's, that's pretty bizarre. <clears throat> Dennis, this whole time, had maintained that he was with Imparo that night. Right. Right. Um, he did admit that he left that note on Natalie's door. Uh, right. So, <clears throat> I mean, that's not a cute move, Dennis. No. That's not real cute. But also, but also you would think if he had just broken up with Amparo the three nights before, which is what she said, mm-hmm. like, wouldn't he be more, like, obsessed about Amparo and, and their relationship Rather than Natalie, who he'd been broken up with for a while. Well, I mean, he did leave that note on her door, like, within days 
Yeah. Of her dying. Yeah. So he was still, like, he was still, like, not over Natalie and still jealous over what she was doing. Maybe the breakup between him and Amparo kind of stirred up all these feelings that he had with, for Natalie and the breakup that they had. Right. But still, it's so strange that there would, there would be a guy who was, like, looking at other people's windows who lived there, who had a baseball bat. And anyways, if you're, if you're just looking through people's windows... Not that I'm condoning that, but like, why, why would you need a baseball bat for that? Yeah. Like, unless, are you going to hit them when they pop out and say like, what are you doing looking in my window? Exactly. I mean, that to me, that's pretty, I mean, that's an eyewitness. You know what I mean? Yeah. Who has like on record called in that there was a man with a fucking baseball bat. All right. So I'm guessing they never convicted Dennis. Well, no, of course not. Because the defense right. started tearing everybody's accounts apart. Um, they focused right. on Glenda's testimony. They said that in her pre-trial conversations with the police, she couldn't really recall what Dennis had told her. And also the medical records showed that Natalie was not pregnant. So Rebecca Davis. Um, like his wife. His right. wife. She claimed that the reason she did it is because she was mad at him at the time. (gasps) And she recanted her statement. So it wasn't even Uh usable. She said that... Fuck. She did say that Dennis previously had told her that Natalie was too trusting, never locked her doors, and that one night somebody broke in to her apartment and hit her in the head. He told her that he believed someone at the apartment complex attacked her. She claimed never to have ever heard him confess to Natalie's murder. She was just mad. That's okay. That's really fucked up. That why would anybody just I, uh, I mean, like defense lawyers suck, but like there is a reason for them because of things like that. Yeah, right? exactly. And like, what kind? What are they getting? Like, are they getting arrested or or anything because they need yeah. to be? Um, I think I I'm not sure. I think if you if you lie under oath, then yeah, I mean, there's you it's it can be a punishable offense. Her call to the police being like, "Oh, my husband murdered somebody 20 years ago, and he just told me all about it," is the whole reason that he even got picked up in the first place. So, and, yeah, then, which, and then for her to be like, oh, I was just mad. Also, it takes away the time that they could have used to convict the other guy who probably really was the one that yeah. fucking did it. Yeah. Well, they've already given up on that guy because he's in jail for something else. I mean, what are the odds, though? You know, what are the odds that it wasn't that guy that was holding the fucking bat? You yeah, know what I mean? exactly. I mean, he's out walking around. Right. So right. So, Dennis didn't testify, uh, but the jury did read a statement that he gave to the police where he said that he dated her off and on for only nine months and that they just remained friends. Um, According to Dennis's statement, he did see Natalie on the afternoon of October 12th before she even went out to 6th Street. He said she seemed fine. He spent the night with Amparo Garcia He received a call Mm -hmm. from Susan at around 5.30 a.m. or 6 a.m. in the morning of October 13th. And he said that Susan was in hysterics, screaming that there's blood everywhere and something's wrong with Natalie. I was just going to say, like, okay, like, this happened early in the morning. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I'm assuming, I mean, there was no cell phones back then. Gone to the apartment, assaulted her, and then gone to his own place of, of residence in time for her for her roommate to call him right. at his house. Seems see and that's what's weird to me is like so Susan woke up Johnny who is Natalie's right. son. Right. Like okay, that's understandable. Like your mom's hurt, get up, like sit with her, I got to call the ambulance. Why the right. fuck would she call Dennis? Like that would have been around the time that she's calling the ambulance and waiting for the for them to show up. Well, I, who knows? Or I mean, but maybe like, Dennis was just lurking around. Well, how would he be lurking around if he if she called him at his at her at his house? Well, this is according to Dennis that he received this call. 
Well, I mean, but you got to remember this is in the 70s, right? Or 80s? 80s. Yeah, so he'd have to be at how he'd have to be at his house because there's no cell phones. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, so, I get what you're saying. Yeah, but so, like, did yeah. she really call him? That's what I'm saying. Is like this is just according to Dennis. Susan yeah, didn't right. say this. Yeah, I don't know. That's why it's a mystery. I, there's, I, I just don't see how there's any way that he could have gone to gone to her apartment, mm-hmm. you know, assaulted her, and then drove back. Although. Austin traffic wasn't bad back then. It was reported that Dennis knew how many times Natalie had been struck in the head with the bat. But he claimed that he he only knew this because Susan told him about the sounds. Honestly, like, if Susan was sleeping, which she said that she was doing... She but said that the no- the noises of the thumping and the moaning and the door shut is what woke her up. I just don't see how you would know so how many times somebody got, like, beaten just by the sounds that somebody makes. Yeah, I mean, like, I would not have any idea, I would think. Also, if you're in a different room, like, how would you even hear every sound? Well, you're in a different room... You're waking up out of a sleep, so I'm assuming, too, you're, you don't even, like, your brain's not even conscious of what's happening. Yeah, that's bizarre that he would know how many times she was struck, but maybe, I mean, this is years later when they even, like, brought it up to him, so maybe he was just, maybe he was, like, recollecting what somebody had told him previously, but he thought it was what he knew at the time. Yeah. That's bizarre. What a yeah. weird case. I know. Um, so is it still it's still open? Well, then the jury did find Dennis guilty of oh, the murder and no. he was sentenced to 36 years in prison. 2 years oh. after his sentencing, the conviction was overturned and a new trial was ordered because the appeals court believed that Dennis's lawyer was ineffective. And didn't submit evidence about another suspect, Marty Odom, who was the guy who Don Shelley saw. Right, with the, ba- with the baseball bat. With the baseball bat. Uh, the appeals oh. court noted that Marty's roommate told police that Marty told him that he met a woman from apartment 188 in October of 1985, which was Natalie's apartment. Marty told him the woman invited him into her apartment. Right. They had wine. They did the sex. And afterwards. Uh, At at three, at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. After a a whole last night out. No. They had the wine. They did the sex. (laughs) And afterwards she refused to have any contact with him. The roommate asked police if a bat was used in the attack because Marty had one, but he couldn't find it. He said the night before the attack, Saturday night, he was out with Marty. They were on the same street that Natalie was on. The roommate claimed that he dropped off a friend and didn't see Marty again until after Natalie's attack. When the police questioned Marty, he claimed he had no idea who she was, but then was like, oh, I see her on walks from time to time, like when she's coming back from the laundromat. He failed the polygraph test, and the test examiner said the fail was so bad that he was 100% responsible for Natalie's death. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I would think so. Dennis was released on bond when the lawyers filed the motion to dismiss the indictment for failing to comply with the speedy trial requirement, which is like they have to get their shit together in a certain time. Right. The prosecution filed a motion to dismiss the case pending further investigation, so they still were trying to pin it on Dennis. But that was declined, and Dennis's lawyers admitted a motion to dismiss the indictment on the speedy trial grounds. Judge Wahlberg whoever the hell that is, granted the motion and dismissed the case. Oh, good. The prosecution appealed and the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals reversed Judge Wahlberg and reinstated the indictment. However, 
in 2018, the prosecution dismissed the case completely. They just couldn't prove beyond a reasonable doubt or that yeah. Dennis is the one who did it. Um, yeah, because Dennis didn't do it, obviously. Yeah, Don Celli, I mean, even though they lost his little drawing, he God. reported seeing a tall, husky man with long, blonde hair. Uh... Didn't match Dennis's descri description. Amparo said that... So, the main thing about Amparo was she kept these, like, super detailed journals. And uh -huh. she said that she and Dennis broke up three days before. And they were like, okay, well, let's see your journals. Well, she didn't record anything in her journals for three days during the time. So, she didn't have any evidence to say whether or not they actually were together or not. And Dennis was pretty convincing that they were together right um they well, said I mean, yeah if it doesn't if there's no proof that he wasn't with her right then then we'd have to just assume that he was exactly um glinda they said was untrustworthy they questioned her about why she waited decades to report the confession and she said that she just was scared um and then of course there's the wife who testified that she was just upset at the time, but that she misunderstood her husband uh, when he was talking about what she thought was killing Natalie. He told her that he had like committed a bunch of sins or something. But this the, seemed like a big case of like he said she. Yeah, said exactly. Bullshit. Like what a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. Um, right. The sin was that he didn't spend enough time with his mother before she died. How do you get that confused with killing somebody? This is just a really bad case of telephone, is what that is. That's a bad case of telephone. Yeah. Remember that game? Oh, my God. I do. I do. This just shows how, like, you can, like, whatever you say can literally change somebody's life. I but I don't understand, I don't understand why the police department, I, I guess they were just like, so chomping at the bit to just get this case solved, that they didn't even like, it's like they didn't stack the evidence against each other, like, they didn't stack the evidence against Marty and, and, and Dennis. It was just like, oh, well, this person said, you know, three times, three different people said that he did it, you know, instead of being like, well, this fucking polygraph test this guy failed miserably you know what i mean yeah i'm a hundred percent sure that he's the one that did it yeah especially with dawn dawn's account of him and them being on the same street the night before yeah and him him like knowing that where she lived even if the even if what he said was not true about him going over to her house for wine and stuff like, obviously, I don't think that's true. He probably was just saying that because he was guilty and knew that he was in her apartment at some point. Yeah. You know what I mean? And wanted to make it sound like, oh, yeah, I was there, but only only to have sex and to drink wine at five o'clock in the morning. You know what I mean? Like, right. Like, I, the Austin Police Department never fails to amaze me, honestly. So... So is that it? That's it. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think it was Marty. I'm like... I think so, too. Uh, had to have well, been. Well, had to have been. Like, I know that we're, like, amateur sleuths, but, like, honestly... Come on. Come on. Come on. Are you ready to hear about mine? I am. So, again, this is... This is uh, the cold case of Veronica Taylor. She was a 13-year-old girl in Lubbock, Texas. So if you, um, if this is going to be something that you can't handle, then you can feel free to fast-forward this. Except for you, Jasmine. You're stuck. I know. I'm like, how do I fast-forward? <laughs> yeah. Around 10.30 p.m. on March 25th, 1987, 13-year-old Veronica Taylor walked her baby sister, Tanika, from their apartment home over to her aunt Celestine's house, less than a football field's length away, where her mother and relatives were playing cards together. 
Both Veronica and her aunt and grandmother lived in the same apartment complex known then as the Phoenix Apartments in East Lubbock, Texas. Once Veronica made it to her aunt, her aunt Celestine's house, she asked her mother if she could stay the night at her other aunt Darlene's house, which was also about a football field a length away from Veronica's own apartment. When Joyce, Veronica's mother, said yes to her spending the night at Darlene's, Veronica made her way back across the apartment complex to her own apartment to get her backpack for school the next day before heading over to her Aunt Darlene's. Veronica never made it across the apartment co- complex. Um, so, like, so this is an apartment complex. Mm-hmm. It's pretty big. Most of her family were, like, living in that same apartment complex. Right. Okay. Um, on the snowy morning of March 26, 1987, a man driving along FM 1729 in eastern Lubbock, uh, 15 or 20 miles away from the Phoenix apartment complex, spotted something horrific on the side of the road. The driver got out and realized it was the exposed body of a young girl immediately left to call the police. Now, remember, there's no cell phones, so he had to, like, leave the scene and go find a payphone. Yeah. Veronica's body was found in the nude with her underwear wrapped around her neck, and although she had been strangled and sexually assaulted, the cause of death was blunt force trauma to the back of her head oh by God. an undetermined by an undetermined weapon. Yeah. Jesus. I know, it's fucked up. Inside her discarded backpack was candy. And in video footage taken at the crime scene, an investigator appears to pick up Veronica's coat with his bare hands and dig through the pockets. A practice that probably... son of a bitch. Yeah, so, like, all the evidence that later could have been used to, like, help solve her case was was tampered with, basically, by, by by the investigator themselves. Police like ruin it. The uh, they're like stopping all over the crime scene, moving shit around, and it's ridiculous. Yeah, especially back then because they just didn't like they didn't have DNA evidence back then, so they didn't yeah. think of you know what I mean. Um, the medical examiner and police ruled Veronica's death a homicide caused by blunt force trauma to the back of her head, but investigators haven't been able to identify the heavy object. Lorene Taylor, Veronica's aunt, explained. Um, to counteract this phenomenon seen in homicide cases today, forensic analysis are able to look at blood and, and wound patterns to help identify those objects. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have that also back then. Right. The, I guess it's like blood splatter. Yeah, that makes sense. Lorraine Taylor said she doesn't know if there were signs of a struggle, but the LCSO did find blood at the crime scene. She and her family assumed it belonged to Veronica. Um, she's not the type of person that would have went up to a stranger's car. We know that. It was somebody she knew. If she did go up to the car, they did abduct her and take her away. Uh, Lorraine Taylor explained. Veronica was killed less than 24 hours after she was last seen alive by family. The distance between the two houses, Lorraine Taylor guessed, was approximately 100 yards, about the length of a football field. I really want people to know that it's about the length of a football field. <laughs> <laughs> so I've said it 10 times now. I promise. It's about the yeah. length. I, me not even knowing how big a football field is. I'm I like, know. okay. <laughs> Her family said she may have been abducted or killed between 10 and 11 p.m. as she was last seen shortly before that. Um, okay. It wasn't a. It wasn't until around 7 a.m. the next morning when Lorene Taylor went to her relative's house to pick up Veronica for school. She learned Veronica wasn't there. I asked my sister where was Veronica at because she wasn't here. Lorene Taylor recalled. They reached out to her school only to find out Veronica never made it. It wasn't until they turned on the news later that morning between 11 a.m. and noon that they learned a body had been found about 15 to 20 miles away from where Veronica was last seen alive. Initially, the investigators thought the body belonged to a young woman. Uh, Based on file footage, Veronica's body appeared to be found only feet from the side of the road. 
they were probably driving and just, yeah, probably pulled over and just. So I would assume that it would have to have happened at nighttime, probably yeah. around four. Right. Like three or four when people are like asleep, you know, and you can't really see anything. Yeah, that makes sense. Although there hasn't been any major breaks in the investigation in years, Lorene Taylor said she hasn't lost hope because she thinks she knows who is responsible. Who was so it? there's well there's two so there's two theories about <clears throat> uh about Veronica's case. Mm-hmm. Um the first one is is basically her family uh saying who they think it was. Now they can't name him publicly because He's not, he's not a, like, he's not an official suspect in, in her case and the death of Veronica. So they can't, they can't name him. But the second one they do name. My sister used to date a guy who, that we thought did it. He told her because she left him and got with some other guy that she would pay for that. Lorene Taylor said, he told her he was going to do something real bad to hurt her for leaving him. The incident between Veronica's aunt and her violent ex-boyfriend happened within the same year that Veronica was killed. Her body was found along FM 1729 in eastern Lubbock County on the route that Veronica's aunt and ex-boyfriend often took to get home. This man also lived in a house yards away from where Veronica's body was found. So he was living in this house that was like not far just down the road off the highway from where from... Veronica. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, he did it. Yeah. I think so. According to her family, the ex-boyfriend later spent 25 years in prison on charges related to child molestation, which they said could be relevant as Veronica was sexually assaulted just before or around the time she was killed on that cold March day in 1987. Yeah, my God. He definitely did it. Um, (laughs) They went there several, several times to talk with him, interview him on different things. They also, they always let us know when they did go down and try to get information from him. Lorene Taylor explained he would never commit to any kind of DNA samples. So the police officers did go and question him, but he would never, he would never like give up the goods. Basically, that's what I understand. If he's a, if he if they questioned him while he was incarcerated, I don't think they have a choice. I think yeah, like wouldn't they have to like submit to whatever kind of testing? I think so because at that time you're a ward of the state. But I don't know. Maybe they didn't question him when he was locked up. It might have been after. Um, they can get a warrant. Yeah, they, they can, can get, get warrants and shit for DNA. All this is all circumstantial. Okay. I I mean I would I think they I think he did do it, but I mean legally, I don't think that there's enough evidence. True. That's true. I mean, even though he said like, "Oh, something bad's gonna happen," like that's pretty bad, but. I mean, and it's not like he doesn't know who Veronica was. And right. Veronica obviously knew who he was. So if he was like, hey, let's go. She, you know, they said that she would never, ever approach anybody. Yeah, that she like a know. strange person. Yeah, and nine times out of ten, when it's stuff like this, it is somebody that, that, the, that the people know. Exactly. Even if the LCSO had the suspect's DNA... Investigators wouldn't have been able to test the evidence for comp- for comparison. At the time, law enforcement agencies didn't have the technology to test DNA. He was a suspect, but they just don't have the evidence, Lorene Taylor explained. Along with the theory of Veronica's aunt's ex-boyfriend, it has been suggested that Veronica might have been killed by a notorious interstate serial killer named Samuel Little, who had been convicted of killing a woman named Bobby Ann Fields in a similar manner in Odessa, Texas, around 1993. Wow. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of him, either. Oh, he killed... He, like... Okay, he confessed to, like, over 60 murders, and they think that he could be linked to, like, over 93. God. Yeah, all the way from 
um, California to Texas. However, Veronica doesn't necessarily fit in with all of Little's other victims. Little targeted vulnerable females such as drug addicts, the homeless, and sex workers. He was a large and powerful man with a boxing background who was good with his fist. In 2006, Little was arrested for shoplifting in Lubbock, Texas. In 2020, Samuel Little died at the age of 80 while being incarcerated at a state prison in California. Wow. I mean, so if he, if this guy, you know, if he was a boxer, I mean, his fists are, are weapons. Yeah, so, exactly. I, mean, I respect the theory, but I don't think that it's correct. Yeah, and also, like, his, all of his victims, I think, were, like, older. But, I mean, she, it's not like she wasn't a vulnerable victim. Right, she was. it's true. No, it's true. You know? Because um, she was so young. Yeah. He never, so he never confessed to killing her. He never, like, confessed to even being around the area at the time. This is just a theory that somebody else kind of came up with because they knew that he... They knew that he was in Texas at one point or a couple of times, you know, because he was also picked up in 2006. But, you know, that doesn't it doesn't mean that he was in Lubbock. I mean, Texas is huge. Right. It exactly. Takes hours, you know. Yeah. Before her life violently ended, Veronica was a happy, helpful and bright sixth grader at Murphy Elementary. Aww. Her aunt. I know. Her Aunt Lorene Taylor said all of her teachers loved her and she enjoyed singing in the church choir. She would have turned 51 this year. We still pray in that one day justice will be served and her killer will be brought to justice, Lorene shared. We still visit her grave. We take flowers out there all the time. Damn. There is still a reward for anybody who knows anything. Um, it's up to $6,000. If anyone has any information pertaining to the case or the murder of Veronica, contact the sheriff's office at 806-775-1601 or Crime Stoppers at 1-800-252-8477. Hopefully they find and, out who did it. Ugh, what a case. Anyways, so um, I guess it's time for the missing person. Who did we have this week? This week's missing person is a 15-year-old girl named Chelsea C. Rodriguez. Um, she was last seen on August 24th, 2023 at Navarro High School. Um, she was wearing black Dickies pants. Um, a red shirt, white Air Forces, and a black and white backpack Nightmare Before Christmas theme. Um, she is believed to be around Runberg Lane and Northgate Boulevard area. Ooh, that's not a good area. No. She's 125 pounds and 5 foot 4. Um, if you have any information that can help locate her, if you could call this number, 737 407941 Well, hopefully they'll find her. Yeah, I hope so cuz she's I mean, she's only 15, yeah. so Ugh, it's always sad when it's somebody so young. Yeah, that's awful. I know. Um if you do like our podcast, uh if you can go ahead and follow us on Instagram, it's Nosy Nancy's. Um, or you can join our Facebook group or our Facebook page. The Facebook group is Nosy Nancy's podcast and the Facebook page is Nosy Nancy's. Right? Right? I think so. I think they're both Nosy Nancy podcasts. But oh, Nosy okay. Nancy's well, they're podcast. both Nosy Nancy podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you have any questions, concerns... Um, if you have any things you want to talk to us about, or if you have somebody you're, that's missing, or if you have a story that you want to get out here, uh, you can email us at nosynancies at gmail.com. That's N-O-S-E-Y-N-A-N-C-I-S at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We sure would. Send and us all your stuff. Yeah, all the, all your stiffs. All and your I think stiffs. that's basically... That's basically it. I have to check with Amanda, but I think next week is going to be our special episode. Ooh. 
Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited I know, for me the too. first one of those. I'm excited because we don't have to talk. We yeah. can sit there and I listen. just get to listen. Yeah, we just get to listen and comment. I'm a great listener. Well, <laughs> I think that's basically it. Uh, sorry this episode took a while to, to get out, but, you know, shit happens. And so. sorry I'm so low energy. I'm recovering from death's door. All right, well, I think that's it. All right, well, uh, we did it again. We did it again. We did it again. So um, we'll see you guys next week. Don't. I know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, we did it again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. All right. We'll see you next week. Stay tuned. Ciao. Say la vie, man.